listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Stanton and Zach Taylor. Welcome to the fifth installment of The Weekly Brew, your source for political, social, and sports commentary brewed up in 30 minutes or less. I'm Austin Staten, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Zach Taylor. Jeremy Paxton is involved in a contract dispute and has the week off. What? A contract dispute? Okay, it's not quite a contract dispute. He's on a cruise. He's on a boat. <laughs> That's funny. We'll have him back next week, but before we get started, how is uh, how's the Labor Day weekend been, Zach? You know, pretty uneventful, actually. It doesn't even feel like Labor Day. I don't even know what that's supposed to feel like, but, you know, it's a day off, so I'll take it. Yeah, absolutely, and there's more college football and NFL football right around the corner. <laughs> yeah. All right, folks, now it's time to sit back, grab a drink, listen, and be informed. Let's start with the big lead. The big lead. For the first four episodes of the Weekly Brew, the big lead has been kind of focused on news and current events. This week, we're going to take a brief hiatus and focus on college football returning. Zach, was it great to have football on your TV this weekend? Absolutely. The long-awaited wait is over. So glad to have football. We started off the college football season Thursday night with a few big games, Michigan and Utah, as well as Minnesota against TCU. And then obviously we had a a Baylor-SMU game on Friday night before a full slate of games on Saturday. For you, what were the big storylines that emerged from the college football weekend? I think the first one uh, was from the TCU game against Minnesota. I thought they did they were underwhelming for me particularly offensively. Defensively I think they did all right, but I think Minnesota is just kind of like a middle of the pack Big 10 team and considering the way the Big 10 performed on Saturday, if I were a TCU fan, I'd I'd almost think I'd be more concerned about what that does for their strength of schedule and says about that than Big 10 fans might be concerned with the opening weekend for their conference. What did you think? I do think the Big Ten had a terrible weekend overall, but I think it's also important to note that it is just that. It's the first weekend of college football. I think it's a little bit too early to overreact to any results that happen on the field right now. Keep in mind, last year, Ohio State lost at home to Virginia Tech. Michigan State lost two regular season games. You know, everyone wrote off the Big Ten last year saying that they could not have a playoff contender, that you know they essentially had been eliminated from the college football playoff in the second week of September. Ultimately, we know that Ohio State and the Big Ten went 2-0 in the college football playoff, and they ended up coming home with a title. And then Michigan State, of course, beat Baylor in the Cotton Bowl. So I think it's a little bit too early to overreact and go into that analysis. But I think that one thing that you did bring up that I, I kind of agree with. So I thought the TCU offense looked a little bit pedestrian. I thought Trayvon Boinkin uh, didn't look like the Heisman front runner uh, that he's been labeled as the preseason. But one thing that I would like to note, uh, the college football games so far this week have averaged 56.2 total points. Now that's points scored between both teams. Now if this holds, it will be the highest scoring week one ever. To me, that was just shocking to read. I find it fascinating because one of the narratives that I heard so much over the weekend is that defenses are being able to step up and combat the spread offense. And that just doesn't seem to be the case when you look at the analytics. I'm I'm not complaining about the defenses not catching up. I think football is a whole lot more fun with more scoring. I tend to agree with you. Now, throughout the country, we had a lot of great games over the weekend. In fact, just looking down at the scoreboard, most of the top 25 teams came away with victories. Of course, your notable teams that did not pull off a win 
where, of course, your Arizona State as they lost to Texas A&M, Stanford going on the road and getting upset by Northwestern. And, you know, I think those were the, the two big surprises of the weekend. Did you get the chance to watch any of those two games? I watched a little bit of the uh, Stanford Northwestern game, um, and I think I heard something this weekend that David Shaw this uh, this weekend became the uh, new front runner uh, for the conservative ticket uh, ahead of Donald Trump and Ted Cruz um, with how with their play calling in the Northwestern game. I also watched a little bit of the uh, A and M uh, Arizona State game. Actually, I watched the whole thing and uh, was was quite impressed. That was a lot of fun, uh, a really fun game to watch. Uh, Texas A&M's defense, uh, I think, is definitely possibly turned a corner, particularly with the pass rush. I think there's still a little something to be said. Potentially, Arizona State might have been a little bit uh, overrated, um, so I'm not quite sure exactly. You know, I I, I don't want to knee-jerk either way uh, that Arizona State was just completely overrated or that A&M's a top-10 team just yet. But um, I was just surprised how John Chavis just completely turned around that A&M defense. I mean. One, I, I know we can't overreact. It's just one game. Last year, after Texas A&M went on the road and beat South Carolina, everyone thought they were national title contenders. We know how their season turned out. But if Saturday night was any indication, their defense is going to be a force for this year. Chavis's defense forced two turnovers, had nine sacks, and 14 tackles for losses. It was the most sacks that the Aggies have had since they had 10 against Texas Tech in 1995. So essentially, it was their best defensive performance in the last 20 years, and it was led by two guys on the line. I think what's um, really scary for the SEC West, uh, you know, I'd heard this year coming in that A&M was, could potentially be one of those surprise teams. They were going to be one of those teams that's either going to, you know, finish sixth again and, and just kind of bottom out the SEC West, or they could be a surprise contender in the uh, SEC championship game. And, you know, for the last couple of years, you know, their biggest question mark uh, has been the defensive side. It's never been a question of offense, of them being able to score. And, and from the first game, it certainly looks like they figured that part out. For now, um, there was a little bit of uh, questions on offense with the rotating of the quarterbacks between Allen and Murray. If they can figure that quarterback situation out, uh, I think I think A&M has the potential to be a surprise team this year. Kind of staying within that SEC West, uh, you know, everyone, uh, you know, looked kind of good this weekend from the SEC. Uh, we had Arkansas, of course, getting a win, uh, you know. Wisconsin fell to Alabama up in Dallas over the weekend. Uh, LSU actually was rained out, so they didn't get to you know to play their game. And then, of course, the other game, Auburn beat Louisville by just a touchdown in Atlanta. I was a little bit surprised by some of those results, but I didn't see any team in the SEC West look as dominant as I did Texas A&M. And honestly, the score of 38-17, to I'm not sure that the game was that close. I actually thought it was. Uh, it wasn't until like mid fourth quarter um, that I saw A and M kind of pulling away. I mean, it was twenty four. They they gone up. Uh, I, I think the the real nervous point for um, me, or, or like where I thought things might be starting to shift, was A uh, and M got a turnover, a fumble um, late in the third quarter, down inside the ten yard line, and just ran the ball up the gut three times, didn't gain any yardage, and had to settle for a field goal. And then Arizona State marches up the field um, and had a potential to make it a twenty four twenty one game. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, A&M got another turnover uh, and and took it away from there. And then after that, the wheels just kind of fell off for Arizona State. Um, but it was it was a pretty competitive game um, all the way through from from what I saw. Kind of keeping along with the uh, national title contenders, we we had mentioned Oregon as a possible national title contender a few weeks ago on the show. And I thought they had a pretty pedestrian season opening win against Eastern Washington, an FCS school. 
Uh, keep in mind, Oregon's replacing their Heisman Trophy winner, number one overall draft pick, Marcus Mariota, replacing him with Vernon Adams Jr., a fifth-year senior transfer from Eastern Washington, the team that Oregon played in the first weekend. Now, Oregon, their offense put up numbers. You know, we know they're going to put up numbers. They've scored 61 points. They had 485 yards of offense on the ground, 246 through the air. But at the end of the day, it was their defense that looked a little bit pedestrian. Eastern Washington's quarterbacks combined to throw for 438 yards and ran for 111 on the ground, and the Ducks surrendered 42 points. Was that result a little bit surprising for you? Yeah, well... Not, not so much. I mean, I guess with the, the total yards, whenever I look at the stats, but honestly, I was expecting Oregon to take a step down this year. I think I picked USC to come out of the Pac-12 for the college football playoff this year. I was expecting it to be a little bit more of a dip on the offensive side with the new quarterback and adjusting. I mean, I think that that's a little bit concerning, particularly in the Pac-12 with the way they run the spread offenses. If they're that, you know, giving away those types of numbers, you know, they could be in for some trouble when they play Arizona State, Arizona, USC, UCLA. Speaking of uh, USC and UCLA, I thought both of those schools looked really, really good this weekend. UCLA was, of course, breaking in a freshman quarterback in their win against Virginia. And then USC just looked like a dominant team against a you know lesser opponent in Arkansas State. The Trojans win 55-6. to Cody Kessler, again, experienced quarterback, went 19 for 26, 236 yards, four touchdowns. Trey Madden looks good on the ground with 12 carries just over the century mark and one touchdown. I think you were right. You hit it right on the nail that I think USC can emerge from the Pac-12 as that champion. But I also think it's you have to look at UCLA as a possible contender. I completely agree. I was very surprised, actually, with how well they played against Virginia um, from what little I saw. I think this might be the first time in years that finally the preseason media hype about college football teams in Los Angeles could actually turn out to be warranted. That's pretty impressive. You've got two top 15 teams within the city of Los Angeles. And freshman Josh Rosen from UCLA looked outstanding in his debut. He went 28 of 35 for 351 yards for three touchdowns and no interceptions. His QBR was just a tick under 91. So quite an impressive debut against the the ACC team, uh, Virginia Cavaliers. We just briefly mentioned USC and UCLA. Of course, Texas played USC 10 years ago for the national championship. On Saturday night, the Texas Longhorns, coached by Charlie Strong, went up to South Bend, Indiana, to take on Notre Dame, and the result wasn't pretty. Zach, tell us what happened. Gosh, it was just an absolute massacre. Texas uh, just got steamrolled. They, we, we all knew go, going into this that they had some questions at quarterback and offensively they were probably going to struggle, but they were at least supposed to have a defense, and it seemed like Notre Dame was just scoring at will against them. And uh, if I were a Longhorn fan, I'd be, I'd be pretty nervous right now that it almost seems like they've regressed a little bit defensively. I mean, granted, it's just week one. It's just the first game, and, and who knows? This might actually say more about Notre Dame than it does Texas, but maybe just from being a Big 12 perspective, what I take away from this is that Texas – doesn't look like they're going to be competing for a national championship this year. I don't know that anyone necessarily predicted Texas to compete for a national championship, but I think a lot of people, the narrative coming out of Austin during the summer was that the Longhorns were improving on both sides of the ball, like you had said, and they, it, it seemed like they had kind of solved their issues on the offensive side of the ball, particularly, and that Tyrone Soups is emerging as the leader for the team. I thought he looked just, you know, very pedestrian. He's only has two wins against teams with a, you know, a winning record in his career at Texas. And I thought Kirk Bowles said it best from the Austin American Statesman. He said, 
You wonder if the Longhorns, picked to finish 5th in the Big 12, have slumped to the 8th best team in their own state behind Baylor, TCU, Texas A&M, Houston, Rice, UTSA, and Baylor's second team. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back. They've got a tough game against Rice this weekend, and I think Rice is another one of those kind of like sub, you know, non-Power 5 teams. It could be a little surprising. They won their bowl game last year and and could be on the up and up. Yeah, so kind of switching gears here on the college football front, I think amateurism has kind of come into question. Now, we spoke about this a few weeks ago with Paul Catalina and Northwestern. But there have kind of been two stories that kind of emerged from this weekend. Uh, the first one would be ESPN. I'm not sure if you watched a, a you know a game on ESPN this this weekend, but they were actually giving live gambling updates during their broadcast. And with the whole you know amateurism, student athlete, I thought this was quite interesting to see, uh, especially the major network with you know the, all the litigation that's going on right now with Ed O'Bannon, you know the Northwestern football team wanting to unionize I, I was shocked honestly to see gambling updates on the major network espn what were your thoughts on this zach i was a little caught off guard with it too i my, my initial reaction is feeling a little uncomfortable about it uh, from the professionalism standpoint i also you know don't know if it would or would not be encouraging um you know any black market sports gambling um i know a lot of that takes place since really the only legal place to do it is is Las Vegas or in Nevada. I mean, I understand why ESPN's doing it. There's a market out there for it, and sports gambling is huge. But um, I don't know if I mean, I guess one of the things that kind of popped into my mind was ESPN now doing like um, like a gambling version of like uh, Directv's Red Zone, where anytime you know like a team's gonna cover or whatever, they're gonna flip to it, and it's gonna become more about you know the the point coverage and and less about the games. I, I don't know. In the past, we've seen guys like Brett Musburger kind of allude to the gambling lines, you know, saying, uh, you know, for example, Texas is a slight favorite against Texas Tech, but never have we outright said there's a cover alert or here's an over-under alert. I, I was just shocked to see that from ESPN, but, you know, I think gambling in the United States is a large industry, and it's kind of in that giant elephant in the room, and ESPN is kind of taking their stand right now. Annually, $4 billion are bet on sports legally in Las Vegas. Outside of Las Vegas, it's estimated that anywhere between 80 to $380 billion is bet illegally in the United States. So I think it's kind of a startling number. And I'm not sure if ESPN has some sort of lobbyist, you know, trying to legalize sports betting throughout the United States. But I just thought that it was a little bit interesting to see it come into play with college athletes specifically. One thing to note is that ESPN is debuting a new version of SportsCenter tonight, in which Scott Van Pelt is going to be giving his own take. You know, it's going to kind of be more interview-driven, more topical-driven, not necessarily the the highlight package that you typically see on SportsCenter. And one thing that I read is that he's going to have a regular gambling segment. So it seems like ESPN is going all in at the moment on sports betting. It's going to be interesting to see what what how this further shapes the way ESPN covers and and produces their their segments. The big lead. Sad story emerging out of Louisiana over the weekend. 16-year-old Tyrell Cameron, a Franklin Parish high school football player, died Friday night after suffering an injury during a game in which he was helping covering a punt during the fourth quarter of the game against Sterlington. Absolutely tragic story what happened. Uh, It turns out that uh, Cameron was injured on the field 
from an apparent neck injury and was transported to an emergency room at Franklin Medical Center where he was pronounced dead. Uh, it looks like the the coroner's office is still in, investigating the precise cause of the injury, uh, but it's just a very sad story overall, Zach, and kind of goes into the you know the risk and the harm that you know could potentially face these student athletes, uh, you know, any given night. Yeah, I agree. Uh, like like we talked, uh, football is a violent sport, and, and accidents are going to happen, and this is just so horrible. It's it's just so tragic to think about something like this potentially happening, particularly uh, in a high school level, you know, your parents sitting there watching, watching your kid and, and, and something like this happens. And just kind of like the, to just another reminder of just the risk that you are taking by, by playing the game. I mean, I, I'm just so sorry that something like this happened and that the, their parents, his parents are having to go through what they're having to go through right now. Yeah. I think it's just a really tragic situation. Uh, Les Miles, the head coach at LSU said in a statement that, our thoughts and prayers go out to everyone involved in the entire situation. You work so hard to get out there on the football field. You never expect anything like this to happen. Just a horrible and sad situation. And, you know, just from, from everything from the players to school, the coaches and, you know, just the staff and everyone involved. It's just, it's tragic. And, and, and you know, it, 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 it's kind of nice to see the community kind of rally around and, and, and support this family and, you know, the student athlete. I mean, he was just a sophomore in high school and, and you know, he had his entire life ahead of him. Um, you know, and, and you see situations like that, you know, how, uh, you, you know, that you can't take life for granted. And then you kind of look a little bit over to San Antonio, Texas, and you see this absolutely sickening thing that happened on Friday night where two John Jay high school football players deliberately tackled a referee during a game on Friday night and, you know, essentially targeting him because of a call that went against them. Did, did you see or did you hear about this, Zach? Did you see the video? I haven't seen the video. I did hear about it, and it is disturbing. I was relieved to hear that the two students have been suspended both from the team and school for their action. I mean, this this sort of thing is just it's terrible. I mean, disturbing is is exactly the right word I would use to describe it. So we'll go ahead and paint the picture for you and we'll post this video on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash weekly brewcast. Leighton Jay's 15 to nine loss at Marble Falls. One defensive back ran from seven yards away into the back of an official watching a run play unfold, you know, about nine to 10 yards in front of them. After the ref fell to the turf after the first hit, another player standing to the right of the ref and several yards away led with his helmet and dove into the official. Just an absolutely sickening situation. And as Zach mentioned, both players have been suspended and the school district is investigating. You know, honestly, I think both of these players should be banned. You know, never should set foot again on a football field. Closing time. It's kind of an abbreviated episode today for the Weekly Brew. Again, one of our co-hosts, Jeremy Paxson, is currently on vacation right now on a cruise somewhere in the Gulf of Mexico. He will be back with us next week. But, Zach, it was kind of nice to, you know, kind of discuss something that we really haven't focused on this year. And, you know, especially after having a, you know, controversial podcast last week discussing gun control, gun violence in the U.S., it was kind of nice to sit back, relax, talk a little bit of football. Yeah, it's nice to have something a little refreshing and kind of a little bit lighter content uh, after something so heavy last week. Absolutely. And, you know, just before we wrap things up here, Labor Day weekend marks the unofficial end of the summer. I just want to hear this briefly, but what has been your biggest storyline to emerge from the summer months and how do you see that playing out during the fall? I think for me, the biggest one, honestly, is the uh, the situation in China and their currency devaluation and the way their economy is going. Um 
I, I think it's going to be interesting to just see how that continues to affect the global markets and how far their economy continues to fall and just what effect does it actually have on the U.S. and in the rest of the world. I think that's going to be a huge uh, thing to look at, especially how it impacts the U.S. economy and the job market here. For me, I think the biggest storyline that emerged from the summer was Donald Trump. I mean, it was it was the summer of Teflon Don. And, you know, as we approach mid, the middle of September in the second Republican debate on CNN, it's going to be interesting to see if he can carry on this momentum during the fall and actually be a contender during the primaries. And of course, we're going to discuss both of those issues, both China as well as, you know, the the, the Republican and Democratic nominees as we move forward throughout the fall. But it was nice to kind of sit back, relax, and talk a little bit about football. And, uh, you know, I, I think it was, a, it was a fun episode today. Yeah, I, I agree. Glad football's back. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm thankful football is back. And again, thanks to everyone that has been listening at home, listening on their podcast. We're now officially up on iTunes. You can search for us in the iTunes store at The Weekly Brew, or you can also listen to us on SoundCloud. And again, if you have any comments or questions, please leave us a note at facebook.com slash weeklybrewcast, or you can find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash weeklybrewcast. For my co-host, Zach Taylor, I'm Austin Staten. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton and Zach Taylor.